Welcome to Live the Fuel, where we fuel your health, business, and lifestyle. And now your host, Scott Mulvaney. All right, good day, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to a new Live the Fuel podcast episode. Uh, we had a bit of a hiatus here in early 2021 while I was finishing my new book. The new book is out. And uh, we're actually going to connect with a gentleman who was kind enough to uh, let me come on and talk to his audience as another fellow newer podcaster, actually. Uh, but this gentleman is a, uh, a brother from one of my old, old lifestyle choices, which the book is about. So uh, we're connecting tonight with a fellow firefighter uh, from California. Let me give you a quick background on the gentleman. So he currently serves on and leads teams in the Wildland Municipal Fire Service in Southern California. So as some people call that SoCal. Um, I've, over the years, I've learned all kinds of acronyms. He'll be able to help clarify it for you guys listening in. There's CAL FIRE, there's SoCal, there's county fire departments, there's city fire departments. Uh, obviously, I was federal with the U.S. Forest Service. This gentleman also got to serve uh, on a hotshot crew like I did back in 2010 and 2011. So again, for the newer listeners and a newer audience, uh, that's what my new book is called So You Want to Be a Hot Shot. That's why I'm bringing him on too because he's also a former hot shot. I think it's a great opportunity to reconnect on the backgrounds I helped this gentleman get a little bit more exposure with his podcast titled Prep and Defend. And this gentleman's got a hell of a lot more background than I do as far as firefighting. I only did it for two years, guys. And I, I, I make that very clear in the book. This guy's been doing it for over 23 years. So uh, he's a mentor. He's a coach. I love his social media feeds. We'll, we'll tag that in the show notes on this episode. He's a big fitness nut like I am. He's going through some of his own physical injury recovery today. So again, the creator and host of the Prep and Defend show Without further ado, Chris, sir, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Scott. Thank you so much for uh, letting me talk to your friends tonight. You know, this is awesome. I'm, I'm really excited about this. And uh, I enjoyed connecting with you yesterday and having having a great conversation, talking about uh, the hotshot days for both you and I, um, you know, the different perspectives that we had. And, and, you know, we're close in age and we both definitely share a lot of similar similar passions. You know, you, you left fire after, after a time and I'm still, I'm still doing it, but, uh, on the, our passions and what we're into is still, you know, you're definitely like helping people as do I on the mentorship side. And we just love pushing ourselves and uh, getting after it, you know, whatever that looks like in our everyday lives. Well, let, let's pause, pause on that. Uh, and it's Rue, right? That's the nickname Rue. So, yeah, that's the thing is, yeah, Ruano, but uh, everybody kind of calls me Ru, you know? Again, ladies and gentlemen, I'm cheating. The guy did a great job. So shout out to him again, to Ru. He's a good prepper for our newer guy to the podcast world. He sent me a nice bio sheet. He's got everything on Google Drive. I'm a big supporter of that. So well done, sir. Um, It makes, if you're showing up on other people's shows, makes it even better and easier for you to show up and I can actually take care of you better as, as the host of the show. But again, the way I run for newer listeners he is a guest co-host tonight. I am not here to interview him. He and I are here to rap and get to know each other better. Now, granted, as he just hinted, we kind of cheated a little bit. I got to go on his show last night and record. So uh, he and I already got to geek out a little bit uh, for his audience, but now you get to do it with me, sir, and for the, the Fuel fans out there. So the Fuel Nation gets to catch up with Rue. And my old fire nickname was Mulventure. So, uh, adventure, yeah, I was a bit of an adrenaline junkie and always going on adventures on my days off. Cause you know, firefighting wasn't adventurous enough. And then I forget which guy on the crew mentioned it. And he was like, all right, Mulventure, uh, what adventure did you have on your, on your R and R days this time? You know, I told you last night I was skydiving and stuff like that. So, uh, so how'd you get Rue? Just cause like most people, people like to shorten your name and make it easier. Right. Exactly. And, you know, in, in the fire environment, you know, things are loud. 
there's kind of, you know, you're not yelling at each other, but it's pretty loud. And, and instead of saying Ruano, you know, they're just Ru, you know, and, and to get you to kind of turn your head and, and then it just kind of that, yeah, that's kind of how people, uh, people hit me up these days. Hey, have you talked to Ru? And, and you know how that it's just a single syllable. Your next, you're, see, that's, that just makes sense. My first name's already a single syllable, but I got it back now. <laughs> Over my whole life, a lot of people, when I was younger, they called me by the last name. I was like, wait a minute, Mulvaney. Three syllables. You go to Ireland, it's Mulvaney, but it's like, again, Scott, one syllable. But people are always like, hey, Mulvaney. And guys in the fire crew, too. If they didn't say Mulvaney, it's like, hey, Mulvaney. I'm like, really? Is my, <laughs> I don't know, is my, name, yeah. my last name fun? I don't get yeah. it. But I agree with you. Like usually guys are going with the short, right? Because again, whether I was in the corporate space, whether I was in fire, which is federal government, right? Dude, the government loves its acronyms. Anything you could do to shorten shit up, they are on it. <laughs> so, oh, no doubt. And I mean, uh, well, maybe my friends are, are a little more lazy than yours. They just want to keep a, you know, they're not wasting a bunch of energy on syllables. I don't know what it is, but it does crack me up because it's like, all right, see, I like your nickname. That's easy. All right. So let's just short the one syllable and rock. So. Uh, did that start right away, way back? I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm making you think way back. So, again, 23-plus years uh, serving uh, our public, uh, serving your country. So, uh, and, I, again, I, I talk about this in the book, right? I'm, dude, I love honoring you guys. And I, and I have people tell me, like, dude, don't say you guys. You're part of that, too. I'm like, yeah, I only did it for two years. So, but service changed me forever. We talked about that on your show last night. So, um, if you think far enough back, because you started, didn't you say yeah. 18, 19? I, I did at 18, I started pursuing this yeah. and you know, what that looked like was joining like volunteer kind of like, um, almost like an Eagle scouts for the fire department. You know, you get exposure, you get to try it out. And, uh, I, I think sometimes people, people called me, me Rue then, but it was funny, as you mentioned that, um, you know, you get kind of in different groups of people and they, they'll come up with a nickname and in my academy, when I got hired on the fire department, only those guys that were in that academy, now they call me Chili. And that was just there. And it was a twice removed nickname because Ruano sounds like Rieno. And I don't know if you've ever had the Mexican dish, oh, Chili Rieno. Oh, yeah. And so, Dude, yeah, it's nowhere near Arizona, New Mexico. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. So, so only those guys that I'll still see after all these years, 20 years ago, we went through the academy. And they'll call me chili, but nobody else. And it was just that group. But, uh, you know, most people, yeah, they just kind of, they kind of know me as Rue at this point, but I guess it did start early. You know, that's just kind of, I'm sure there's a bunch of other nicknames. If I start thinking all the the things that you did, you know, as you would remember being on those, uh, those teams of hotshot crews, you know, you're out in the wilderness and inevitably somebody's going to do something that's memorable and worthy of a nickname. And henceforth, that's what you're known as. But, you know, it's kind of, oh, dude, I just, you just made me pop into something in my head. You ever hear of hashing? It's a running. No. Thing. All right. So I, I, so back in the day before fire, uh, it's funny because you have to do something stupid while you were doing these running events. And that's how you earned your nickname. Uh, so in the hashing world or, or hashers, it's called, and this is not a drug reference, ladies and gentlemen. So there's no hash reference. <laughs> drugs here. Let's just stop that. So. Uh, so hashing or hashers is something that was founded, God, it was overseas, somewhere in, I don't know if it was Europe, I don't know if it was India with the British influence. It goes way back. But the, the, the tagline for these groups is it's a, it's a drinking club with a running problem. It's a complete flip, right? But literally, you just show up, and if you have not earned a name yet, you are just Scott or just Chris because you're not worthy of your nickname. 
they have to give you, and you have to earn your nickname. So you just start doing these running events, and it's basically like you show up, and they send out a hare. So two of the symbols of these groups is, is there's a hare and a turtle, right? So basically the hare is, is the fast, right? They go out ahead, and, and they lay the course. And they, they mark it either with chalk, or like they make symbols on the ground. Like the symbols tell you, okay, you have to stop, and it's a checkpoint, right? So you got to send people in your group out in all directions. It's almost like a scavenger hunt. you got to figure out which way to go. And, like, these symbols will tell you, like, if you go, you'll see a couple of markings in one direction, and then all of a sudden it's a block marker saying, oh, you're on the wrong route. So now you got to go back to the checkpoint, go in the other direction. And then if you nail the first one right away, great, you keep going. So this, this could go on for a few hours. Usually it was on the weekends. Sometimes it did this stuff in the evenings. Usually people drank a lot of beer at the end. Um, I don't drink beer anymore, but was, that was back in the day. Anyway, it was just funny that you mentioned that because it was like, okay, your nickname had to be created by your fellow hashers. I know it's usually like the head hashers who've been named for many, many years. So um, it's just it's just funny because like, so my, my hash name is called Cabbage, Cabbage Snatch Kid. <laughs> so, <laughs> you remember, the cabbage, oh, so remember the Cabbage Patch Kids? Can I tell you real quick, you know, not to, to step on you, but you just made me remember something. So last summer we were on a fire here in Southern California and everybody on my crew I was, I'm the foreman. So everybody else is, you know, between the ages of 20 to 30, you know, whatever, but they probably didn't hear of it. So we started looking these up, you know, on the boring things you do on the way to a fire or something like that. We had cell service. I told them about, you know, cabbage patch kids and everybody starts looking up everybody's names. They oh, hey, you know, patch kid was. <laughs> no, never heard of it. So they were just Googling, trying to see if there's a, if there is one for their name. And, and we did that just last summer. So yes, no shit, I am really. very familiar Dude, with uh, the Cabbage Patch Kids. <laughs> all right. See, again, we're, we're aging ourselves. So I was born in 77. Were you also, or 76? 36. Well, yeah, I'm uh, at the end of 76. Okay. So yeah, we're recording this in September, 2021, uh, just to make sure we're, I mean, it's going to air in a couple of weeks, but uh, my birthday's on the 21st and then I'll be 44. So you got me beat by a few months, but yeah. it doesn't matter. I mean, I just remember my sis, my older sister having Cabbage Patch Kids. And now it's funny how toys from our childhood become collectibles and like people collect that crap. I don't know. I mean, I remember when I, I had like, when I moved West. I went to my parents' house because I was purging everything. You know, and we talked about it on your show. Like, I had to make sure my life fit in my car. I had, like, boxes of G.I. Joe stuff, right? And then I, I go up online, and people were, like, paying money. Oh. Like, like, the old original G.I. Joe toys. Like, I had the battery-powered tanks and stuff. I just, it just cracked me up. Like, what people find collectible is very interesting. So... Uh, but anyway, the nicknames. So anyway, Cabbage Snatch Kid. I had to earn that name. Anyway, so obviously in the fire world too, you do something stupid on the fire line, on the way to the fire, in the gas station parking lot while you're fueling up, whatever. That nickname is going to stick with you while you're on that crew and possibly on to your next cruise, right? Because I never got to change crews, but does mm -hmm. your nickname follow you? Oh, it does. Absolutely. So I have been involved with a lot of training academies, you know, training the people that we hire. I've done several. And then of course, you know, you get to week three or so, once you start to learn the people's personalities of the ones that are going to actually stick around and graduate, a bunch of them get nicknames right. and that nickname for sure follows them to their first assignment. And, and a lot of times, you know, quite a ways through their career. So is that a leadership thing? Do you guys make sure the name does follow them? Is there, is there a pass off or a handoff through leadership and command? I'm just wondering, just wondering. I never asked, but I was like, you know, you know what I, th I think it is. I think it's a camaraderie thing with the classmates where 
there's, there's a nickname and there's going to be a story behind it. Right. So if you see somebody that you went to training with in the fire stations, you'll be like, Hey, that's potato chip. Oh, did I ever, let me tell you the story about how he got that name. Right. And so that, that very much. And then, so maybe those other people will call them, you know, potato chip or, you know, whatever, you know, it's just kind of, that's how, that's how, that's how I've seen it go down a lot. You know, we don't make them carry that name, but it just kind of follows them. You know, it's funny when I was younger, I used to think if somebody was changing your name, I mean, let's be real. It doesn't matter how you look at it. It's ball busting, right? I mean, obviously, if you're a guy, it's ball busting. If it's you're a lady, it's a different thing. <laughs> but the point is that I, when I was younger, I would take it as an attack, you know, because I, I wasn't mature enough yet. I didn't understand what was going on. But now, you know, now at going on 44, I look back and you're right. It's totally a camaraderie thing. I have buddies that were in the military and every, almost every single one of them had some level or some type of nickname. I mean, I listen to a lot of Navy SEAL podcasts, listen to Jocko Willick's podcast. I, I listen to a lot of audio books. I love geeking out about books like from Green Berets or any, any guys in the military. And I never liked that stuff when I was younger, but ever since fire, it just changed my, my brain wiring. And you hear, when you hear them talk about the stuff in their books or on their podcasts, everybody's got nicknames. There's, like nobody's using the regular name. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, for sure. It's almost it, like it's that nickname to be respected, I think. <laughs> Well, it's just like you had mentioned in that hash experience thing that you were doing the runs where you had to earn it. You know, the name, it's not just, I mean, you had to be part of the group, part of the team to earn that right to even have a name. Otherwise, if they don't like you, they wouldn't talk to you. They don't, they're not going to give you a name. They're just be like, oh, you're that guy. Yeah. But uh, so there is pride associated with giving someone a name and and, and bearing a name. That's kind of how it works a lot in those team, uh, you know, high functioning cultures. Yeah. I, 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 now that I look back, I, it is a good thing, right? So actually, it's funny. I, I was redoing this for your show last night, my new audio, you know, better sounding wall to, to take care of the echo because my office is bigger than my old office. But I found, so shout out to Howie, one of my leads who uh, I think became a squad boss after I left uh, from the Pleasant Valley Hotshots. So his wife made this for us. That's our logo from PVIHC. And there you go. She made these little name signs for every single guy on the crew for the end of the season party. We had a big picnic at one of the state parks in Arizona. And we like, which I didn't know you could do this at a state park, but I guess if you're a federal crew, you can get away with it. Like we dug a pit and, and, and like set shit on fire, like brought our own wood and built a hot coals pit. And we actually like, we did a pig roast and we threw two whole pigs into the ground. I never did this in my life before. And then you, you know, you cover it. We had steel plates, like, we didn't mess around. Like this was one hell of an end of the season party <laughs> in 2010. Oh yeah. Uh, but then I got to meet his wife and his kids. Uh, and I forget what tribe they were from. Uh, they were from, what's the biggest, do you know the, the biggest tribe in New Mexico? I'm blanking on the name. I feel bad right now. I'll, I'll, I'll let it go. But anyway, Howitzer, Howie, uh, his wife made this and I'll never, I'll never give it up. I, this is, I'm a bit of a minimalist, but I was like, I don't, I don't give this stuff up, but everybody got their names on them. I was the only one with a nickname. <laughs> Oh, anybody, yeah, anybody that's extra video, work. Anybody who watching the video, and actually I stand corrected. It wasn't 2010. It's dated 2011. So this was the end of our second year. Sorry, that 2010 party, she made us uh, little camp pillows. So these little flower sacks, like they would have, that's how they got their flower, uh, you know, on the res. And she took all, she saved all the flower sacks. I think it was like bluebird flower. Anyway, I still have it in my camp gear. Like my original camp gear that I've had for all these years I finally started updating some of it, but I'm not getting rid of that camp pillow. 
and she stuffed it full of pillow stuffing, and she made little camp pillows for every single one of us on the crew. And I was like, that's so wow. Cool. And then the second year, she made us these little signs, and I was the only one to get my name on it. But like, dude, it's even like it's embossed. I don't know how she did this, but like, it's raised. I, I don't know. I'll that's incredible. She, she said she was team mom. Dude, hands down. Like, I was like, all right, you're pretty awesome. I was like, that's, I, I'm honored. So uh, she, they had a great family. So, and that's the kind of connectivity that I talk about in the book too, right? It's like, and again, you, you, you've been doing this for 23 plus years. Like, you really do, you're not always going to be considered family with every person on the crew. You're definitely going to connect with some more than others. You got 20 plus people on a crew. It's like, okay. But hands down, I respected all of them. I'm willing to risk my life with all of them. Uh, but there's definitely a percentage that you connect a little bit deeper with than others, right? And you end up overlapping. Absolutely. Families. So is that pretty mm -hmm. much consistent throughout your career as well? No, that definitely is. You, you know, you will, on large teams, there'll be those ones that, you know, people kind of, for whatever reasons, like you said, they gravitate toward one another, whether it's personalities or that person has something that you kind of need to hear, you know, or however it really works out. But, but definitely you gravitate toward one another and you share all these tough experiences, which just makes those bonds tighter and tighter. And then of course, if, especially if you're having the same days off, then you tend to get together off duty. Hey, Hey, we're finally off tomorrow. Hey, let's get the families together and let's go do things together. Um, I've noticed that in the fire service that when the families do a lot more together, when you're actually working the same shifts, like you and I did on the hotshot cruise, they call it an RDO, you know, our regular days off. Yep. And we would go together and, and we would do things or go camping or, or whatever it was. And I noticed when I started working for the cruise for the county agency that I work for now, there was no days off. It was just the schedules rotated. So maybe you were working with the same people, but, but, but the bottom line is everybody didn't have the same days off. So I noticed you did lose a lot of that off duty camaraderie and, and the family bonds because not everybody has the same days off. Well, like we talked on your show again, prep and defend ladies and gentlemen um, is the name of the show. The, we were a unique remote crew. So we actually were kind of stuck in between how you explained all that right now because we would have scheduled days off as a whole crew. But if we hadn't served 14 live fire assignment days, right, red card days, then we didn't get a full detached day off. Like, okay, you're allowed to leave and not be within callback. So our, our crew's policy was you had to be within two hours of callback. So the farthest we could really go was Pace in Arizona from where our base was in Young, Arizona. So Phoenix, Scottsdale region, uh, or Flagstaff, or, both, or Prescott was like three hours away. So we couldn't even technically per se, in a maximum way, enjoy those days off or really connect with each other's friends or families because a lot of people's families were either in other states or in other cities, and they weren't within that three-hour window unless people drove to Payson to meet us, right? So uh, mm -hmm. we really... Basically, our crew was always jonesing for a fire assignment because that was the only way to, to burn through those 14 days. And then you get your, hey, man, you're free. There's no way you can get called back for the next two days. Uh, or once a season, I think they would give us a, a three to four day roll. And we're like, oh, yeah, like we can, we can actually detach for three to four days and do whatever the heck we want. And uh, you really looked forward to those, those, those pockets of time. So, and I, I think oh, I definitely. And, uh, and for the listeners, if you don't know, like he's talking about, they'll, you'll work two weeks. And at the time that we were in, it was 21 days 
or two weeks, and then you would um, get what they call R&R, and they are mandated rest and recovery days. And when I was a hotshot, I had not been out of state. I was just a California kid. I had never even been on an airplane. The first time I have, I ever went on an airplane was their fires were burning in Florida in 1998. Oh, wow. And we flew, to, we went to Florida in uh, all parts of Florida, Northern Florida and Flagler County there. And uh, we got our R&R in Florida. So oh, wow, a whole bunch cool. of, you know, 21 year old kids, you know, going to checking out Places we've never been, Cocoa Beach and down, mandatory yeah, days, days off. Did you go down to South Beach? Daytona. No, we were up in the middle of the state, though. We made it to Daytona. We did. We rented a car and went to, we rented a T-top Trans Am. Wow. Anybody ever heard of a, oh, yeah. a car company called Pontiac? It doesn't exist <laughs> after 2008, 2009. So that's uh, right. The, the great market collapse, crash and burn Pontiac. So uh, those cars are collectibles now. <laughs> well, hold on. So, that's interesting because so even though they, they stopped doing the 21 day role, uh, obviously when I served, right, they moved. And again, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about these roles, right? So these are live fire assignment days. So you're not guaranteed to get all 21 days on the same fire. You might get demobbed or demobilized and then shipped on to another fire. So uh, and sometimes it's in the same state, sometimes it's one town away or sometimes you're two states away. So but the thing is, like, if you're doing roles like this and it's not a super crazy season like this year in 2021, um, yeah, we're sometimes gone for a month and a half because, hey, we're, we got two days here, but now they're going to stage us here. So those aren't live fire days, right? So those aren't counting towards our 14 days uh, of, you know, red card days. So there's times where you might spend a week, you know, just being staged and then you'll, you'll get shipped to this fire. But, you know, we lick it super fast and you're off, you're off of that fire in two, three days. So it might take a while for you to get those 14 days accumulated. Was it that way back in the day with 21 as well? Yes, it was. You can get your rest in different ways. But I know that for us, when we were out, uh, it just happened that we were on fires and assigned to, even if we were doing what, what you said, if we were covering the area, you know, the region that we were in, for example, Florida, maybe we weren't assigned to a fire, but we were covering that forest while the other units were doing their thing. We were still captured in like a state of emergency funding kind of attached okay. to the incident. So for us- I, I don't think we did if we were on the line, but it still counted as us being uh, captured as part of our, okay. you know, 20, 21 days in those days, it was 21 days. And then they did change it to 14 days. And sometimes it goes longer, but uh, that's the current standard is uh, 14 days before they got to give you some rest. And if I remember, actually, there was at least one, maybe two assignments in 2011. We had some pretty hot zones and I think we did actually hit like they, we, Basically, they checked with us, and then they got approval. We were actually able to go beyond 14. Now, we might have done a 20, 21-day assignment. I hear that's still going on. I mean, I guess it's- Oh, it does. It does. Yeah. It Especially does. There, there's extenuating circumstances. Yeah. I mean, it's cool, mm -hmm. though. Like, you, I didn't get shipped to Florida, but in 2011, we got shipped up to Montana. And uh, they needed us up there ASAP, so they flew us out, out of uh, the Air Force Base in, in um, there's a U.S. Forest Service controlled whatever- I don't know. It was. It wasn't the. It wasn't Missoula. Like, yeah. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a standard commercial uh, flight. We were on a government plane, and they flew us to Missoula. Uh, and anyway, the point is, they and they had our buggies chase. So the soup truck and the and they basically laid chase. So we got there ahead of our gear, but then they still put us into action with basically borrowed gear from the fire camp until our buggies and our supplies got there. So again, for the people hearing this stuff, as a hotshot crew, you're fully independent. 
everything you need is on your two crew buggies and your soup truck, at least for us anyway. And our soup truck had a trailer and we were always, we always had a UTV with us. Did you guys have those back in the day too? No, we didn't, we didn't have any of those, uh, at that time, but the crew that I used to be on, they currently, I see them running around with the quad on the yeah, back. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, or like if you're lucky enough, the nice crews, they got like the six pack, right? You got three in the front, three in the back, the big UTVs versus, uh, ours was a, was a John Deere Gator. So you could fit two guys in it and that was it. <laughs> so, but uh, let me tell you, those things came in handy, man. You want to get uh, supplies in and out faster up a forest or access road and you can't get the buggies up there. Those things were really handy. Obviously the soup used it most of the time for, to get to, uh, you know, soup lookout or whatever they call that, you know, that's where all the soups hang out. You know, all the superintendents are up there right. observing everything, you know, leading us and guiding us. So have you done a lot of those assignments at all over the years? So I have done some of those. So now currently, um, I'm not assigned as a superintendent, but, um, it's called a strike team leader and I can, you know, we'll take out crews and it's, it's kind of that role. And, uh, like you described, the, that's typically you're going to, the superintendent or the strike team leader is the lookout. And I was amazed when I was on crew, just swinging a tool that I never even, you would never see them. You would just, you would assume that he's out there somewhere, but I mean, you're in the timber and the pine trees and you can't see anything. And, and but you only see him maybe in the morning when he leaves the base camp and at night. And you're like, where is he all day? I never see this guy. He's just hiding out in the bushes somewhere. And, but that's it. They get up at a spot where they can, they can keep an eye on the crew to make sure they're not in harm's way. So they need to be usually pretty far out to see the fire and the crew and our escape route. So I really do enjoy, I enjoy those assignments a lot. I, I like, um, you sound the same way. I mean, your name's, your name's Mole Venture. So I like to, if there's a hill, I'm like, I wonder what's up there. I want to see what's over on the other side. So you have the freedom to do that when you're the strike team leader and you're scouting and you're being a lookout. Um, you know, you, you're trying to get to a high point. And so I, say, I, I really enjoy that aspect. That. You're not, you don't have any control or command, but uh, at least when I was serving, it became protocol. Once you updated, you know, your fire orders and everything else, like, you know, uh, every, there was always somebody on a lookout position. One man or woman from every hotshot crew was designated that day to serve as lookout. So they would actually, uh, there's multiple times once I had enough skill built up and trust, they're like, hey, go, hey, Mole Venture, you're, you're, you're lookout today. And obviously we were filling out a task book. So this was also able to build up our credentials and our experience. And this all was all stuff that we needed to do to build up our FFT1 and all that. So firefighter type one, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm, again, in the gov, you guys just drop all kinds of acronyms. So, uh, but I, I was bored as hell in lookout unless you're on a real fire. But you definitely have to take it seriously, right? You're spinning weather. You're on radio command. Like you're, you're that's a very, very important role. And, and if, if, again, if you guys uh, heard me on the show before talk about the movie Only the Brave, which was a, a story about the Grand Mountain hotshots we lost on June 30th, 2013. Uh, I'm actually wearing a shirt, Hotshots 19, that I created uh, out of a CrossFit workout. I created a whole brand behind it just here on the East Coast to continue on to their memory. But the only reason why, you know, one man was left behind because he was lucky enough to be in a lookout position that day. And when he hit his escape route, uh, he was about to get cut off by fire. But luckily, another hotshot crew, Soup, was in his UTV driving by and snatched his butt up and got him out of there. So out of a 20-man crew, only one man was left behind because he had the responsibility to be a lookout that day. So um, I'm sure That's you right. probably had your crews and your guys study that now. Has that become a, 
an educational ride along type of event, like, like other past horrific fires? They, there is a stat, what they call staff, staff rides. Yeah. You know, when there's a, when there's a tragedy incident, they'll call it, a, it's a staff ride and they, they invite leadership to come out and to, um, you know, learn from what happened. I, I personally hadn't been out to that location on that staff ride, but you are correct. We use it as training for every academy, every wildland training academy that I was involved with. We showed that video and it was to raise awareness and raise questions because the hotshot crews are, are the top level of experience. Um, you know, their, their supervisors have been doing it longer than anybody else. So, um, you know, it's really just so shocking. So we, we do, we show the incident and the scenario to just nothing else, but raise questions. You know, we start asking questions, you know, why do you think this happened? You know, just to open it for discussion, to add that human element of if even the best people can get caught, you know, to, to, that it's that serious and to, to raise questions and discussions about it. So we definitely, we use that all the time. Yeah. It's I, I, just talking about, it, I guess my hair is standing up on my arm to this day. Like my, when that movie came out, my wife was like, are you going to go? Well, she wasn't even my wife yet, but she's like, are you going to go watch that? And I was like, I don't know. And, and, and you know, shout out to Rob Dintiman, uh, one of my leaders who served on our crew to help us get our type one status back while, well, because my suit was an interim. And he was still finishing some necessary credentials to become the full-time suit to take that crew over in 2010 and 2011. So Rob Dittman came down and did a, a basically, what you call it, a, an assignment to serve as the next in command behind uh, Pat Moore, our interim suit at the time, now suit, uh, because we needed his credential experience, all his IC experience and all that stuff to help have the necessary credentials to be retested be reclassified back into that hotshot status, that type one status. And it's interesting because actually Granite Mountain had gone through the same process around the same time. They were, they were earning their type one status as well. So it was very interesting and a lot of overlap there. And I know I talked to Rob and, and he still hasn't watched that movie for his own reasons to this day. He was best friends with the, with the suit. Um, he died with his crew and they used to do mountain bike races together. So that's why Rob and I, I think, connected so well because that's why I reached out to him to actually write the forward for the book, you know, because you know, like we talked about earlier, there's certain people out of a whole crew that you just connect with. And, and like, he, he's the guy who actually found me the tattoo parlor to do my Phoenix on my back. You know, it, I had it done in Flagstaff, Arizona, which is where he was from. So it's just kind of funny how that all connected up. And, but it was such a tragic loss. I mean, you know, 19 guys gone, I mean, one fire. And, and people are like, wait a minute, they were hot shots. I thought you guys were supposedly the best of the best. And I was like, still humans. And mother. And my, my quote to this day is, Mother Nature can be a real bitch, right? I mean, that fire, you know, the wind about faced and, and cut them off in the canyon, and they couldn't get out. Like, they were blocked. So, and there's all different types of studies and people's feedback on did they do it right, did they do it wrong, and who cares, right? We lost a lot of great guys that day. And, and that should never happen. I think the last time we lost that many lives in a firefighting situation, I don't know, is, is that 9-11, right? As far as the firefighting world? Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, on those tragic events and, and, you know, we're kind of talking of, you know, about, like you said, people that are closest, how hard it is for them. Um, and when I would use it as a training tool, and, and this is a great discussion just for everybody listening out there. And if you haven't seen the, the movie, I definitely recommend, re recommend it as a, just a way to honor those, those guys that are no longer with us, but, um, but it's the human factors, right? Like you mentioned, there's, 
there's policies and there's procedures and then there's science, right? There's the weather that we can't always predict, but really we specialize. And when we're training people, you know, we can't control all those other factors, but we're trying to teach people the human factors and, you know, what is it that makes people do certain things in certain situations? And the military spends a lot of time um, studying this and, and going into it. And, and, but that's, that's the, you know, the, the factor that we have a little bit of control of over, you know, physical fitness, um, being part of a cohesive unit communication, you know, all these things, but those, those human factors. And like you said, even for the survivor, he'll never know exactly what the discussions were up there. You know, what were the exact human factors that contributed to it? We'll never know, but, but we need to talk about that and we need to build teams, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, those kind of hotshot crews, uh, military, or even in the corporate world, but build teams where you can have that, that kind of communication that, uh, you know, can, can try to mitigate some of these human factors that, that happen. Cause like you said, we're humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to this day, and obviously this occurrence we talked about you know, back in 2013, with the loss of the Grand Mountain Hotshots, it reawakened a lot of this stuff in me. Because I don't, I only been out of the service for you know a couple of years, or, or not even. Well, hell, I, I guess like, yes, yeah, so that was like two, only two years later. So I think it was it was a fresh wound for me, and it rocked it rocked me hard. And I was still trying to find my place in the world again after leaving fire, right? And I talk about that in the book too, and. Um, it, it it scarred me, and I was like, I I didn't think it scarred me because I was that I didn't, I didn't realize I was like, dude, that could have been me. I mean, there was fires we were on where there was a, there was one fire in 2011. I talk about in the book that we got we had to about face line out and get the fuck out of there, dude. Like the wind had shifted, and next thing you see a wall of fire as tall as the trees jump 50 yards like it was a step in the stones. Right? It was like holy crap, and you could feel the heat against your face, and you got your shrouds down, and you're like getting the heck out of here but we weren't running out of formation we were lined out and it was a speed march saws on your shoulder and you're getting the heck out of there um so i mean luckily we were on a road and we we're easily accessible to to a proper escape route you know, these guys were in you know thick over overgrown arizona manzanita and all kinds of nasty shit that was probably hadn't burned in decades i forget what the actual uh what they actually said, how many years have been since they had fire in there. But I know for a fact, because I flew out there after they passed away a few months later. And one of my old fire bros on the crew who was from Prescott, uh, shout out to Dave Bowden, Dave and I, hiked, he hiked me out there. He's like, dude, I know the area, let's go. And we hiked out there and we just took it all in. And I went, I mean, I had never seen boulders the size of cars. Boulders, like skinning, like, like when, a, when a snake sheds its skin. I walked up to the boulder, it was like maybe... 20 feet from where they were found. And I just like smacked the side of the boulder and like it just shattered. Like it just, like, it de- literally a layer of the boulder delaminated. That's how hot it was. And I was like, it, it was a very grounding experience. And obviously fast forward to today, thanks to years of fundraising and, and amazing people and civilians stepping up and honoring the memory. I haven't gone out there yet. I need to go back out because there's a whole state park and a whole monument and all kinds of stuff out there. But if you go far enough back on my Live the Fuel YouTube channel, there's a video that I recorded out there at the site. And it was just me just getting my thoughts on video on my phone that day, sitting there. Uh, and there was one of their old shirts just stretched out over top of a cactus. Uh, not uh, somebody, somebody from their family or the crew put it out there. It was faded. 
and it was it was like basically a temporary monument they had set up only in the past basically was i was i was only there like 60 90 days later after they had passed away and um it was still pretty fresh and um it just it was a very grounding but educational experience that shifted a lot of my thought processes after that and i thought just serving as a hot shot rocked my world but then going back to like something you brought up we talk a lot about health and business and lifestyle on this show, right? So obviously this episode for me is really grounding around lifestyle, mindset, leadership. But going back to one of the key words you put here was communication. I mean, I don't care if you're a romance guru, you're a corporate executive, you're a startup entrepreneur, you're a rookie firefighter or a soup you know, with, with 20, 30 years of experience. Communication, throughout all the different hats I've worn, Chris, or Rue, <laughs> I like Rue now, it's like, and you can speak to us at 23 plus years in the service. Every time I've seen a mistake made, every time I see a project fail in the business world or something go wrong, I could trace it to communication. I, now, I'm not saying this regarding Granite Mountain. I'm just, bring, I'm just shifting the story now so you and I can move on. And, and honor their memory, that's already talked about. But now it's like in life, our lifestyle choices, our health and nutrition choices, our choices in business, whatever it may be, career, it's like, wait a minute, guys. Like, why do we get about the basic fundamentals of good, clear, honest, clean communication. It, it spins out of control all the time. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, just as you're talking about it and lifestyle, um, you know, and, and really the, the all encompassing things in our life, not just tactics on incidents and things. Communication, what I'm thinking about is, you know, you had said the word romance even, or your personal life, but, but my wife is a good communicator because myself as a, as a type, a man on a, you know, like to be part of these high functioning teams, it's definitely easy to overcommit and you don't even know you're overcommitted, but I can tell you if it wasn't for my wife's communication, letting me know when she sees that I'm not maybe taking care of what I need to do as a dad, or I'm not taking care of my commitments at the house, or even just knowing when something isn't good for me, even if I'm enjoying it or liking it, you know, she can see that it's not good. That kind of communication, you know, if I didn't have that, I, I could be having some serious, you know, mental health issues, or, you know, I don't think our marriage would have lasted this long for sure. You know, in this type of line of work, because like you said, of that communication, recognizing something that is not going the way it should be and being able to have the conversation and to make the adjustments. You know, it's interesting. So how long you guys been married now? It'll be 20 years next year. Damn. All right. I got, I got a lot to learn. I've been married like two. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I do make fun of myself of that all the time. And actually I bring that up in the book because uh, I like where we're going with this because I've always been that adrenaline junkie. I, I'm a high performer type A. I love taking risks, right? Uh, I, I talk about that in the book too, man. You want to see secrets to success, ladies and gentlemen, embrace change. That's another big thing. Besides communication where people fail, if they fight change, change is inevitable. It, you got it. The sooner you can learn to roll over the speed bumps, jump over the hurdles, open yourself to change. And we're all guilty of it. Don't get me wrong. I still get stressed out from time to time. And I, I have to catch myself. I'm like, you know, ah, Scott, you know, we're at a change point. Let's roll with it. Let's see where it goes. Okay. Keep your essay up. I have a chapter on that. I know you'll appreciate that. Situational awareness. We use that all the time when I served. I, that's why I put a chapter in the book. Keeping your essay up. Essay, right? It's like, dude, situational yeah. awareness. So what I heard from you right now is your wife is your essay in your personal life, it seems like. It, it, would you agree with that? 
Oh, 100% because I operate with blinders so much of the time, you know, on just tasks that need to be done. Like how much can I do? How much can I get done? You know, trying to take on more. And, you know, also I'm trying to be that for my team. You know, I'm that for, for my team. A lot of times I try to recognize when things aren't going like they should, or if somebody needs, you know, help in a certain area, you know, I'm kind of that for them, but who's watching my back. Right. And that's her. She's, she's seeing the, the whole picture. And so for sure, like you said, she's that, that in my life, no doubt. So have you ever referenced it that way? Or is that probably not good in, in a relationship? Like, Hey baby, you're my essay, right? You're my situational awareness. Have you guys ever talked about it that ever over the years? It's 20 years. I mean, I don't know. So yeah, we talked about it today, Okay. today, just, uh, just on, 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 you know, over committing or, or being aware of over committing and, um, just, uh, yeah, we, I just basically, I was thanking her for, for that, you know, and if it wasn't for, for that, you know, things could have gone sideways so many times, you know, and, uh, so it's definitely her. And then of course you need those kind of, for me, I need those men in my life that are that same thing that can, that can check me. I don't, I don't need, you know, there's plenty of, if you're a supervisor, there's people underneath you that'll tell you what you want to hear but you need those peers that can check you too and be like, Hey, let me talk to you for a minute. You know? Uh, yeah, that wasn't a good call. And then I wanted to mention this. It's, it's humility also too. You, you have to be, you have to be open to the communication and humble enough to make the adjustment. Right. Because it's easy. Like you, like you said, if you, if something's not going right, it's great to have a team that communicates, but if you're the leader and you're not willing to change or admit that it's time to change something up, like you said, that resistance to change that takes maturity and humility to say, you know what, at first I was resisting that, but that was a good point that that's the plan. We're going to do that. That's what's up. Yeah. Like that takes humility. Trusting your, again, just because you're a soup, for example, right? You have squad bosses beneath you for a reason, right? That's your sounding board. They're not just there to follow command and then get the guys like me, they dig in the dirt or wielding a chainsaw to get shit done. But it's also like, you know, Hey, soup, you know, we noticed this or we noticed that and maybe that soup didn't do that. Right? There's that communication, but there's that trust and that takes time. That takes experience. And, um, and I can tell you, I actually make fun of myself in the book about, actually I have a chapter called getting humble. So you'll appreciate that. So, uh, because it's all this stuff is just stuff I had to learn. And even though I consider myself the older guy on the crew, cause I was already in my thirties, I, I said to see last night on your show, I was like, I still have my head up my ass. It's like, we all do. <laughs> it's like, to your point, it's funny, right? Because like in a firefighting space, I never heard of, nowadays, a lot of people like to throw around these mastermind groups, right? So it's not a networking group. These are mastermind groups. This is a, people pay to join high-end, high-performing mastermind groups in the entrepreneurial space just to have surround themselves with like-minded people. Maybe it's type A, maybe it's high achievers, whatever. But a good mastermind group or a good you know private community you're a part of is just like you were saying. It's got to be people you can trust, you can really connect with. But back to your point, it's it's you it's gotta be so good that you don't mind getting is what I talk about in the book and what you just mentioned, humility. I, I call it vulnerability, right? It's like, dude, you gotta let your walls down. Like you can't be perfect all the time. I hate the word perfect nowadays. Like throw that out the window. There's no such thing as perfection. As soon as you think you're perfect and you know everything, you are going to fail. Because we're never gonna stop learning in life. I know twenty plus years in the fire service, you would totally agree with me on that. Like there's never a point you should ever allow yourself to reach where you think, you know, everything. No, absolutely. And, you know, just to pull another fire example in there, we all know what's been going on out West in California, the last couple of years with major fires. And this last year, 
the fuels on the mountains and everywhere were the record lowest in a lot of areas. So it's like you're saying, you know, everybody had to be honest with themselves, all the experience that you've had and everything that you've seen, you don't really, you, nobody's ever seen this before. The data shows that this has never happened. So if you go about things the way that you used to, it might not work this time, you know, and, and just to be, to be humble with that, that, like you said, even after all those years of experience, you know, the people at the top of their game, there's things going on that can throw you things that you got to be honest with yourself. Yeah. I've never seen this before. It's things that are different, you know? Well, it's like, again, back when I was serving and I'm, I used to talk about uh, low quantities of fuel. So obviously ladies and gentlemen, again, fuel meaning burnable material, right? So it's like, okay, you have, we spun weather every hour on a fire because you want to know what the RH was, right? You want to know your wet bulb, your dry bulb. You're at a certain altitude because another crew could be just across the valley from you, but it'd be a thousand feet lower, only 500 feet lower, have a completely different weather experience than you. You just don't know. So all that stuff is being you know sent over the radio back to command, and they're monitoring all this stuff and documenting all this stuff and trying to get keep that game plan going. But when I was serving, like the worst fires I saw was because, and again choose your political position, yada, yada, yada. I hate politics. I don't talk about politics on the show. I'm just going to tell you what I saw. Okay, if somebody did not let Mother Nature's natural cycle of fire into an area for 20, 30 years, you're going to have a problem. Your fuel load was off the charts. I don't know if you want to take a position on that, Rue. <laughs> no, uh, no, I agree. It, and it, it it's a uh... I mean, you could see they've been learning a lot over the years. Um, and like you said, sometimes it gets politicized on why they can't intervene, you know, with certain laws and things, because everybody knows, I mean, you could, you, you go to a national park, you go to Yosemite and they'll display for the public. It'll show you, Hey, here's how we used to do things in the seventies. And it looks horrible. The forest is choked out and it's so fuel loaded. And then now Yosemite is actually very good about having controlled fires and they try to keep the intensities low because that's the natural cycle of things, you know, and, and unfortunately, a lot of times, even if they know it's the right things, the right thing to do, um, you know, you can't just snap your fingers and some of this legislation gets changed. So they're, they're kind of hamstrung in some of these old um, mentalities and, and things that they're bound to until things, until the ship turns, right? It takes a long time sometimes, but until things change, but you, you're absolutely right. You know, there is a, fire is part of the natural environment of our planet, you know, and it's, it's part of the cycles of it. And, and, if it um, wasn't, then why would the popular species of Ponderosa pine across Northern New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, it would not shed its seeds from its cones without fire. I learned right. about that in fire science. So I was like, okay, well, fire is a natural part of mother nature. So like, how would you expect a forest to reseed itself, especially if it's a, a, a rich forest of Ponderosa pine without you need fire to, to open that cone up and release its seeds. That's something to think about right there, right? Mm -hmm. How many no, other species of, of Mother Nature's plant lives are out there that do the same thing? Again, I'm not an expert on it. I just know one. <laughs> yeah. And I can remember a decade later. So, uh, because I dropped a lot of ponderosa pines as a sawyer. So, uh, especially the ones that were cat-faced and half burned out. The, fun, the ones that were on fire are always fun. So. <laughs> Yeah. And then, and then what's the, what's the fire term that you hear for the Ponderosa pines? They don't say Ponderosa pines on the radio. What do you usually hear? You remember? I remember dropping hammers. Um, oh yeah. Hammers, but they just sit pondos, you know, you'll hear oh, the pondo because uh, we'll go up to the fires with the folks that work in the cities and, and you know, and we call them flatlanders. 
but uh, you know, they'll go up there and they're like, what the heck is a Pondo? Like they keep saying that on the radio. What the heck is that? And they're like, Oh, that's a Ponderosa pine. Let me show you one. Again, let's shorten the syllable count. And make it a little bit better, right? So Ponderosa pine. All right. Pondos, right? Yeah. Brew. There you go. Go backwards. Mole venture instead of Scott, whatever. That's it. <laughs> um, we're getting close to the end of our slot, but I just want to hit on a couple more things because just to honor you and your branding, um, I talk about this in the book too, right? So I found you and it, what do you, how many shows do you have online right now? 15 as we're recording this. That's correct. I got about 15. There you go. So, and you're, when, when did you kick off the first one? In the beginning of June. Okay. And then I took a, I took a break. And then for those of you to honor a friend of mine, uh, you probably saw national news. Uh, my friend, Tori Carlin, uh, oh. was, was killed in the station and, uh, you know, that put a lot of thing, you know, put everything on pause, yeah. but, uh, you know, just, uh, wanted to give a shout out to Tori Carlin and his whole family. Um, but, uh, Respectful. but yes, but yes, we had, uh, it, it's so basically two months, I got two months going on this thing. And that's awesome. So again, like everything else in life is about putting in the reps and that's where I'm going with this. Right. So, because if people, you follow prep and defend it's, it's, and there's underscores in there. So prep underscore and underscore, uh, defend again, we'll put the stuff in the show notes. So, uh, on the website and, and everywhere else. But the point is like, you don't just, I, I know you're like me, you're passionate about leadership principles. And I, I love, that's why I got into podcasting. I had something to share. I wanted to help other people share their stories, but coming on like you as a guest co-host and just get people to like see two guys just naturally geek out and bond more on the microphone. But the side effects that come out of it, right? Little, we're just, we're just dropping hammers of knowledge, right? Today, a uh, little yeah. tips and tricks and leadership principles and stories and history, but putting in a lot of reps that people here in this could be putting and infusing into their own lives. But another reason why I appreciate your feed is because I, I talk about how I, I found the, the sport of CrossFit thanks to serving on my hotshot crew. And again, you don't have to be a CrossFit geek. Just t- it's like movement is life. People move your body. But my point is, is like you're an injured guy right now and you're moving your body, right? A lot of your posts are not just uh, leadership quotes or obviously your podcast episodes, but you're putting out there health and fitness. You're a geek about fitness like I am. Uh, and actually that's part, that's a secondary part of your brand, right? Your venture with no E venture athlete, right? Venture athlete, no E in the middle.com. That's correct. Cause I live in Ventura Aha. and so it's spelled Ventura athlete, but it's uh, yes, go. pronounced venture athlete. I wasn't and, sure. It seemed natural, but I didn't want to assume. Yeah. So we know about assuming. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so that's cool. I, I like the spin as, as a marketing guy. Good job. So Ventura, California, Ventura, AKA Venture Athletes. Check that out, ladies and gentlemen. But again, so your whole mission for sending fitness is why, right? Is it, is it movement? Is it because it's a big part of your life? Are you doing it just because you like to share your own transformation of coming out of your own injury and making a comeback? Why do you post so much about fitness? And I post a lot about fitness because like you, it's just kind of over time, that's kind of what I became known for at, at work. You know, that was, that was a part of a passion of, that's just who I am. And so- the, the business side of it, the podcasting and even the business side. So I actually started first programming for our teams that I worked with our, our paid, um, you know, hand crews trying to come up with something that we can do at work that would still allow us to work. Right. Because you can go hardcore on a lot of this programming that you can find online, but I was noticing it was great, but my guys weren't ready. And that's my responsibility. And so I started learning a little bit more about programming and, and, and then also running the academies. I had friends that were 
their kids, like I knew the name on the back of their jacket. They're friends of mine's sons and they wouldn't make it. And it was simply because they weren't prepared and they didn't know what to do. So, um, you know, I started writing programs, telling them what to do. Hey, it shouldn't be a big secret. This is how far you got to run. This is how many pushups you got to do. This is, you know, really laying it out for them. And it just kind of made me more interested and passionate. So I started programming and, and what I've done and what I do and why I post so much also is, like I said, that's who I am. But um, my programming is I programmed an entire year. So I do an entire year. It's planned out to build and peak myself and any other athletes that join me for uh, summertime. Our, our, our summertime game time is fire season. If you're a pro athlete, you're getting ready for the big game. We're getting ready for summertime, right? And I want to be ready for endurance there. So wintertime, fall, strength, power, start going endurance for the summer. And then I take a few months, lighten the load because I'm doing, we're planning on doing this forever. Right. And so I'll lighten the load, go with some, uh, just kettlebells and bands, more body weight, take a few months of, of enjoying that, you know, moving in a different way. And for example, starting in October, we're going back to strength training and we'll be on the barbell a lot. So, so that's kind of what, what makes what I do unique. And then on posting, you know, I'm injured right now, but there's a lot of other people that are, are facing injuries and, and they assumed probably that I wasn't just going to sit around and do anything, but I enjoy posting about it. And, and I've been getting feedback that, you know, other people that have injuries, Hey, that's great. You know, I, I never thought I can modify it like that. And all I'm doing is I'm still trying to do our programming, the workout of the day and just showing ways you can modify it. So started with YouTube. Um, I have a ton of YouTube videos because of the programming, you know, the, the programming has videos that you follow along and started doing some of that. And, and then that kind of led to this mentoring thing. People were asking questions. What kind of pack should I wear? What, what should I do to get ready? So I started doing YouTube videos on that. So, um, it's kind of a, just a, a health fitness mentoring. And then also I, I have the programming that we all follow. I used to, I actually still have the pack. It's, it's a Gregory pack. It's a, it's a weaker, a weaker pack size. I, I, uh, one weaker when I say that ladies and gentlemen, but I bought it from REI. I actually talk about REI in the book because it's, that's, that was, I, I spent a lot of money there back in the day. I probably still do, but, uh, you buy good gear. It lasts. I still have the same pack that I did for my very first pack training. Like I used to, uh, there's a old rails to trail along a river here uh, back before I became a hotshot. That's what I did. I filled that pack up with sandbags and all kinds of crap. I didn't even have a scale to weigh. I just hopped on the regular scale and just held it. And then I took it off and weighed myself again and hoped that was accurate. And it's funny because the very, when I went to that Academy in Long Island, New York, to just get the wildland firefighter certification, I uh, I didn't even know what the pack weighed. It turns out it was I was I was training with a sixty pound pack. So they're like, well, you could take weight out for the test. Like you, <laughs> you only need forty five. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I felt like I was racing. Um, but anyway, it's all about a good pack, ladies and gentlemen. So it's good that you're sharing tips like that because I had to figure that out. I mean, nowadays I actually have a nice. Uh, uh, 511 tactical with the weight plate vest that they use in the games. I have that out there. So uh, that was expensive, but I would not have been able to afford that when I was becoming a firefighter back in the day. So, but again, that pack became my camping bag. So like my tent, everything, my, I can like, just grab that whole pack, throw it in the car and I'm ready to go camping. Like, I, everything is always staged and ready to go. I've been that way ever since. I talk about that in the book too. But it's like, yeah. you, you probably get that where it's like, hey, dude, just... I just grab and chuck it in the car and I don't need to do anything else. Like everything is I need is in that bag. <laughs> 100%. Like I have a, a backpack. Um, now my sons, I got teenage sons. 
they wanted to go backpacking this summer. So we did a, a great uh, spot on the John Muir trail, nice. but all I needed to do was I just took my fire pack and I just shoved some of that. I took everything out of my fire pack except for the fire shelter and put it in the other pack. Cause everything's in there. Like you said, it's always ready to go. Everything I need, that thing is for camping out and for being on for a couple, you know, nights out on the, on yeah, the mountain. So I do, I do. I have a mystery ranch fire pack. I thought about buying one. I'm like, you know, if I really want to dial back into my history, I was like, Oh, should I get that? but like, I don't know. I bought a mystery ranch, um, backpacking backpack oh, as okay. well. So. I, the reason why we're talking about that, ladies and gentlemen, is because as a wildland firefighter, you're bent over digging in the dirt all day. So, or even if you're a sawyer and you're a swamper helping your sawyer, you're picking up all the crap that they're cutting. So there's a lot of bending over all day. So the pack and all your weight is mostly on your hips. So all of the cargo areas, everything is lower on your back. Whereas if you're, a, you know, hiking on the Appalachian Trail here on the East Coast or you're camping, you have a traditional backpack. All that weight is displaced up your spine all the way up to your shoulders. So it's a different pack design altogether. So. Uh, I just, actually, it's funny because you'll appreciate this. My new house, I'm on a mountainside and I have 2.8 acres, but I'm surrounded by woods and nobody took care of the forest here. So I've already started doing my own thinning project. <laughs> so uh, my neighbors above me, they go, they're, they're, the top of this ridge hits only 800 feet, but once you go high enough up, it's just naturally thinned out because just the, the altitude change. And anyway, the point is, is that I'm like, you know, 2.8 acres, I could build a quick hot lap loop my mountain bike around the property so you have a nice switch back and climb up do a nice high speed descent down along behind the porch behind the house and then circ just just hot lap it and then i'm like well that's going to be a hiking trail too because i could throw my weight vest on throw the pack on do my pack hikes so i have a master plan here but i've only been here for three months but there's going to be a there's going to be a trail i was like you know i literally build mountain bike trails here and maintain my local mountain biking park in my free time too because I know too much. Everything that I learned from the forest service, I was like, technically we were forestry technicians. We learned how to rehab the fire breaks we did and get rid of them. And sometimes we, we actually literally turned them into their perfect hiking trails, right? Because I call it the hotshot highway. You got a 20 man crew cooking with, with and especially if you ran like a four, a four man saw team. Oh man, you're just, you're off. You can, you can lay out a hiking trail in a day. <laughs> oh Yeah. And I was like, oh, I can't let that stuff go. It's, it's, it's all around me. My friends are like, you're building a mountain biking trail. I'm like, it's only 2.8 acres. It's not going to be a long one. <laughs> I was like, I got the space. Let's do it. So, and then when my buddies come over, we're wrenched on the bikes. I'm like, hey, you could, if you just wrenched on your bike, you need to go out and test it. That's my whole vision anyway for, for what's going to happen here next. So I figured you'd appreciate that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I do the same thing if I'm on a... A trail, I often scout to see which ones need to be maintained, you know, in case, uh, you know, feel like going out and, and doing some improvement. Yep. Well, right now, like that, the Hurricane Ida just went through, it became a tropical storm Ida, but we got over eight inches of rain in since yesterday afternoon. So uh, mm -hmm. everything is flooding. Like my, my trails that I take care of, that creek is, is now a river. It's probably 10 feet higher than it's ever been. So any of the trails that we've maintained along that creek uh, shoreline are underwater. So I can't, I'm waiting for the texts as soon as the water recedes because I have a, um, I, so I have my big saw. So my, my wedding gift from my buddies is actually a, a steel uh, MS uh, 460, 461, 462, whatever the new model is. Anyway, so I have the hotshot saw. I, three of my friends went in on it. It was a $1,200 wedding gift. My wife was like, wow. my wife's like, that was not on the, on the, on the list. And I was like, well, those guys have known me since we were 16, so they can do whatever they want. And if they want to buy me a very nice chainsaw, I'm okay with it. 
<laughs> that is awesome. But then I was like, you know what I'm talking about. It's 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 big, right? So it's like, all right, they, we didn't get the 20 inch bar. I, I have a 24 on it, but I did go ahead and buy the titanium ultralight model just because I I'm not in fire anymore. I might as well pimp it out a little bit. Threw some big beefy custom dogs on it. Uh, but then I picked up an MS 180, and I picked up a Dekine Trail Builder backpack. So I mountain bike in with my chainsaw on my back, and I've already tested. Oh my it. gosh! I can test it. That pack will. I can get the MS 460 to fit in it. So I, last year I biked in with the big gun on my back and people were just looking at me like I'm crazy. And I was like, dude, that's a, that's a three inch diameter hardwood tree across the trail. I was like, I need the big gun. So I don't always mountain bike with the big one on my back, but I had to figure it out. So. <laughs> I want to see some pictures of that. You got to post it. Oh, it's there. There's if you go far enough back on the Scott W Mulvaney, uh, at tag on Instagram, there's trail building stuff in there, but trust me with this storm, there'll be some new stuff going up. So I figured you'd appreciate that. So oh, definitely. Yeah. This is the, that's why we're geeking out, ladies and gentlemen. I don't get a lot of fire brothers or, or sisters on the show that often. I'm hoping now with the book out, I can attract a few more and honor, honor this profession that changed my life. But yeah, there's certain things that when they change your life the right way, you never let it go. And I, all, I made sure all my neighbors know you guys ever have a tree problem. You call me first. I was like, don't call a tree company and pay them a couple grand. I will drop it like it's hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, you get some fun. That's it. So, well, listen, we're bringing the show to the end now. Um, we, we hit the hour mark. Thank you for honoring my Live the Fuel audience. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, Prep and Defend is the name of the podcast show. Uh, again, we'll have all the stuff in the show notes for his uh, social media, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all of it. But, Chris, so, Rue, sorry, Rue, I do ask my guest co-hosts, I don't tell you ahead of time, because I know you're a leadership guy, you'll just get this. I ask you guys to help close the show out. So back in the day, five years ago, when I started the show, I'd say, you know, what are some awe-inspiring words you want to leave behind? Nowadays, I'm like, you know what? Life is short. It's like me putting the book out or you launching your podcast, right? You realize you reach a point in your life where you have a message you want to share. And it could be an all-encompassing message or now I've actually started calling it your legacy, right? Like, right now, currently in your life, like what's a legacy message you'd like to leave behind for our audience Uh it could be something inspiring. It just can be something that you're working on right now to try and help others with. The, the mic is yours. So, Well, thank you, Scott. And I think for me, um, you know, I've been trying to kind of condense some of that as well as, you know, as I'm working on some of this, this branding, even, you know, what, what am I really kind of my message? And, you know, at this point right now, I, I think what I would like to be known for and what I would like my, you know, to pass on even to my sons that they would be known for. And I kind of got it just in three little, little short blurbs, but it's to stay hungry, to be humble and to do hard work. So like you mentioned, you're never going to reach the pinnacle. You're never going to get to the top of the ladder, staying hungry all the time. Uh, but doing it in a way that's humility and not arrogance, right? That means you can help other people. And then, doing the hard work, recognizing when there's hard work and not passing it up to let somebody else handle it, but you get in there and do the hard work. And, uh, so that, that's what I would, uh, drop on the audience. I hope it's helpful to you. And, uh, thank you so much, Scott, for having me on the show. Well, I appreciate those words. And since I already had your, I just, I did a little screen sharing earlier, ladies and gentlemen, if you watch the video on YouTube and also that this is a Facebook live right now, but there, there's what he just said. He, again, follow him on Instagram, right? Stay hungry. Be humble. Do hard work. So, Rue, hang tight. I want to give you a proper goodbye off the air. Ladies and gentlemen, that is another return to 2021 of the Little Fuel Podcast show. Make it a comeback. 
after getting the book out there only less than a week ago as we're recording this. So thanks for tuning in. Remember, go check out so you want to be a hotshot.com. So you want to be a hotshot.com actually does go to the Amazon listing, but that's the name of the book. And again, former hotshot uh, Rue from Prep and Defend Podcast. Go check that out. Uh, he's dropping some nice new knowledge on you, whether it be leadership, whether it be fitness. Check it out, Prep and Defend. So thanks for tuning in. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, you too can live the fuel. And I'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for subscribing to Live the Fuel. Stay connected on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Live the Fuel. And remember, you too can live the fuel. So please visit us at livethefuel.com. Live the Fuel.